0: Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Sunrise on the Inside podcast, a space where we share inspiring interviews and stories from thoughtful leaders in business, health and wellness, entrepreneurship and sports. Here we talk about tools, habits, routines and tactics they use that help them feel calm, revived and rebalanced whenever they face challenges in life. I'm your host, Nico Estrella, a serial entrepreneur, former professional soccer player and co-founder of Waku. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to the episode number eight of the podcast Sunrise on the Inside. I have a super exciting guest today, it's Ali Levine. She's a celebrity stylist and motherhood fashion lifestyle expert. Ali Levine believes that no matter where you roam, from the laundry room to the red carpet, authenticity is your superpower and confidence is your best accessory. After the arrival of her first child daughter, Amelia Ray Levine, wholeheartedly embraced the role of mom entrepreneur, mommy influencer. She is now a mama of two and shares her real raw truth of motherhood. She is a sought-after motherhood-style lifestyle expert covered by Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and LA Times, with design ideas featured on national network television. And in print, online media outlets such as Real Simple, Pop Sugar, and FabFit Run. You can follow her along at alilevin.com and on Instagram at alilevindesign. Ali, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I
0: am I am very excited. I have a lot of questions for you because I don't think I've ever uh, spoke with a fashion stylist expert. So I have a lot of questions. I'm very excited for our conversation today. Um, uh, I wanted to start first, if, if we can go through um, your story and your background a little bit. Uh, I know that uh, you started your career in the New York fashion industry. Um, so first, I wanted to ask you if you can tell us a little bit about how was your story like whenever you were, you were starting your career? And if you can share with us one of your favorite memories of that time, uh, whenever you were starting the career.
1: Sure. Okay. So we're starting like beginning, beginning, like when I was in school with fashion, or or where, where, how far back are we going?
0: <laughs> Wherever you want, you want to start.
1: Okay. Well. Uh. So I would say first off, I've always loved fashion. Uh. I love fashion since I was a young little girl, uh, two, three years old. I think my inner child always knew I wanted to be in fashion. I love fashion. Um, I would be twirling around in my grandmother's fur coats and pearls at a very young age in her house. I would go in my own room at three years old, my mom told me and go pick out my own outfits and put myself together and she would be like, "What are you wearing?" And I'd be like, this is my outfit, you know and and I was very much like I knew what I wanted to wear, even if everybody else thought it was crazy. Uh, my mom said like one of my first kid photos, you know, for school, I wore painted overalls and the whole thing and so I've always been, I think, um, in that, you know, I think is you know I, I've always been creative. I've always been fascinated by how fashion and color and the energy around fashion, what it can do to transform someone. I mean, even being you know so transparent right now, like I'm put together for you and and you know have a cute outfit on, but it, t- uh, half an hour ago I was in pajamas and my hair was up in a bun and I was a hot mess and my daughter was you know getting food all over me and you know I, I was a total like different looking woman you know and um the transformation of even seeing yourself and being like oh wow look at that like you know you feel good and so I think I've always loved the energy around fashion even at a young age and
0: <clears throat> and what why, why do you think you were like that whenever you were a kid like were any like your parents were into the fashion industry or where do you think you got that? Uh, yeah. Uh-
1: so, I mean, nobody's really in the fashion industry per se. Um, my grandmother always loved Getting herself ready. So I think I loved watching her put her face together, her outfit together. Like, no matter what, even if she was in her robe in her bedroom, she had on the most fabulous robe and fuzzy slippers, and her face was still done until she would go to bed. And, you know, she just looked fabulous and she loved getting herself together. And so I think watching that, I was enamored by how she loved to feel good like that and, and, and bring herself together. And as I got older, she would take me to stores, you know, shopping and we would have so much fun together, picking out clothes for me to wear. And I would do little fashion shows, you know, in the mall and everything and, um, pick out fun outfits. And we would go to fashion shows. You know, I'm originally from New York. So we would go to some fashion shows in New York City. As I got older, I did a little bit of modeling. So I would go do like little fashion shows and, and get to be a part of all these things. So she probably started it off and really encouraged me. Uh, her mother uh, also did for a short time some designing. And so she would design like basically following sketches that other designers already had out there and they would ask her to kind of make like a similar version um and so she was doing a lot of that sketching um I didn't know her you know then as uh, she I, when I met her she was very much at the end of her you know life um but I heard stories um about that and how she would design and you know that was her mom um, and she and um, her sister, who um, who is still uh, alive, you know, Earthside right now, because my grandmother is past, but her sister um, always crochets and sews. And when I was younger, I would watch her and my grandmother sew and crochet and do everything. So I think being around all that, you know, I was encouraged to take oil painting. Um, my dad did some cool, like, uh, screening t-shirts uh, when he was in college, just as, like, a fun way to, like, make money. But, like, he always had that creativity about him. So... I think it was very much, you know, born within me. Um, but the fashion piece I think was kind of just something that I really dove into. Like I just really loved, even though fashion wasn't maybe something that was like taught to me per se. It was something I kind of taught myself. Um, And then as I got older, you know, I started trying to figure out like what does this look like when it comes to a job because I really wanted to be within fashion, but I had no idea what I wanted to do or like where to even go and where to start. You know, like most of us when we're kind of, you know, younger and we're told oh, you got to go do this and you got to do that. And you're kind of sitting there like, oh, okay. I don't even know what I want to do, but I know what drives my passion. And, you know, for me, I was very blessed that fashion was always my passion. So I think as I got older, I really followed that. I really believe that when you find your passion in life, whatever it is, it will guide you and you will figure out, you know, what you should be doing or what you could be doing versus someone trying to tell you what you should be doing. Um, And it was funny for me because my dad – you know, with all good intentions and all good heart, because he's such a good man. But my dad wanted me to learn business because he's a businessman. And he was very successful to this day in his businesses. And so he wanted me like to have business before fashion, because he's like, business is really important. And he wasn't wrong. I definitely think the business side of taking in school before I even got into fashion school was very helpful for me to navigate all different changes that did come about that I would have maybe never been able to predict what have happened um, like the stock market crash and all these things that you just can't control um, and so I do think the business side was a good thing to learn but it definitely was not something that like I planned on doing you know he told me I had to go to college first and get a you know my business situated and then once I took my business classes then he would you know support me and help me you know go through my fashion school so that was kind of the trade-off like okay you want to do fashion you're gonna do business first you know and I was like oh I don't want to go to business school I don't want to take these classes, but you know, I, I even though I didn't thrive and I didn't love them, I think it was good for me to have for the background. But as soon as I got into fashion with school, I immediately just felt so at home and I came home to myself and I was like loving it and thriving in design and merchandising and you know, sewing and you know, creating and producing you name it. I was loving all the classes, and so I kind of came into this place in college where I was like, wow. I don't even know what I want to do because I love every single class. Like I literally love every single thing I'm doing, every single thing I'm learning. Like how do you even pick? Which I know like most people, like I was very blessed. Most people don't have that reality. Um, But I did and I was very much like, What am I going to do? But I still had no clue. And so then I feel like it was kind of chosen for me. I was um, helping on one of my fashion productions at school. I was the president of our Fashion Merchandising Association Club at college. And Mm -hmm. so I was the president. I was, like, asked to help other students find – Jobs and help them be mentored and, and, you know, find things for them to do for internships and for jobs. So while I was doing that, I met Target, or as I like to call them, Target. (laughs) And I, I met Target and I said, you know, these students are really interested. You know, I would love for you to meet them. And so as I'm doing this, Target says to me, well, what about you? And I'm like, well, what about me? And they're like, Wouldn't you be interested in this program? And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about it, to be honest. And so that actually was my first job um, was with Target, which a lot of people don't know because it's so far back in my history now. But that was my first job um, as an intern was working for Target, working for Target, and working on their executive program. And getting to, you know, work with their store, learn all um, logistics of bringing a truck onto, you know, the into the store and pushing out, you know, the clothing onto the stores. They call it the soft lines. And when they say, you know, the logistics pushing out a truck, for anyone that doesn't know, like you're literally laying it all out, putting it all into the store, figuring out where it goes, the logistics of how it works. You know, what's coming in the inventory. I was doing the planograms of actually building and figuring out how the clothing departments would look how the clothing would be displayed, the visuals, all the mechanics that like nobody really talks about or you really think about when you walk into a Target, right? You don't look at it and go, oh, wow, this is how they set it up. And this is what this was. You just think, oh, this is the department, you know? And and there's so much that goes into it. And so that's what I was doing as an intern. And then Fast forward, I had such incredible mentorship and so much great training. They asked me to um, basically go and open a flagship store um, in New York and say, hey, we're going to put you through our executive program and fast track you essentially to an executive, which was like a management job and get you going. And so that was my first real big girl job at like, you know, 20, 21 years old. I was like shocked. I hadn't even finished college yet. And they were like, we want you to do this. And so I ended up finishing college early, going back and doing some classes online and then doing some other classes um back in the city when I was, you know, going and working for this job in New York. And that was kind of the start. And it's funny when I think about that, I would have never chosen to go like work as like a executive manager at Target in retail. Like that was never my passion. That was never like But it was an amazing opportunity and at such a young age, like being handed that and then also like the money as well to be quite transparent. Like it was just like, wow, this is so huge. I'm going to do this, you know? And going back to what we spoke about passion, you know, after that was happening for a couple years and I was doing really well in the business, I started really feeling this like burnout. And it was really hard for me because I was making a lot of money and I was doing really well. I was on track to be like district level and have all these huge opportunities and something in my soul was like just not happy. Like I was just like, there is something not working. Like what is going on? I have all these things material wise, but like I'm just not fulfilled. And so I turned to my boss and I said, hey, I don't know what's going on with me, but like I... This is not working anymore. I need to try to figure out what's going on. I think I want to look more into the design side, more of what I studied in school, and figure out what I could be doing with that. So they were amazing. And they were like, well, we don't want to lose you. We'll introduce you to our design department and let you look into an opportunity with that. So I flew out to, I always laugh at this part of the story in my life because I flew out to Minnesota because they that's where Target's headquartered. And they were like, come out to Minnesota. And I'm like, oh God, I'm originally from New York. I went to college in Arizona, like, you know, bounced all over the place. I'm like, I don't want to be in Minnesota, but like, okay, I'll go, I'll go give it a shot. So I go to Minnesota. I'll never forget this. Terrible to admit Nicholas, but I, would get, I got off the plane. And I, and they're like, make sure you cover your neck and it's negative 23 degree, you know, wind chill and all skin and extremities must be covered. And I was like, okay, yeah, we're not doing this. Uh, It was like, my mind was made up before I even, you know, got to the Target headquarters. And honestly, like Target was amazing. And the design team was incredible. And had it been somewhere else, I probably would have taken it. But between the super cold, being a super small, like, little space of, like, what that little area of Minnesota is, it just wasn't for me. I was like, yeah, Allie's not going to thrive here. I'm not this personality. Like, so it became very clear that I was going to be leaving Target. So fast forward, I go to Target, let them know I'm leaving. You know, I resign. I go and I start looking into, like, what can I do? Like, what could I do in design that I kind of learned in college? And it was such an ego blow for me because I go and I apply for all these jobs in design and product development and all these things that I have, like, studied in college. And they're like, yeah, one, you don't have the experience even though you went to school. And two, like, we can't pay you anywhere near what you were making at Target. Like, you're a big executive there. Like, you're coming in here at, like, low bottom totem pole. And I was like, wait what? It was <laughs> like, what is happening? And I had to really like dig deep and say like, but my passion is this type of fashion. And like I left because I don't want to be doing what I was doing, even though it was great money and incredible opportunities. And so I really had to put my ego aside and say, I'm going to start over. I'm going to go and and work in the corporate world in design, but I'm going to start over. And so that's how I wound up from retail to corporate, and started working for a company called Fragments, which is a private label jewelry company in New York City that does, like, jewelry and accessories. Mm -hmm. And it's everything from, like, Abercrombie to Banana Republic, Saks, you know, New Marcus, you name it. Basically, for anyone that doesn't know what private label is, you basically are designing something, and then they're putting their label on it as it's their own. And so that's what I was doing, as well as helping with the shipping and everything else. And that was my first jump into – the corporate world. And then fast forward, I was working for Coach, doing handbags and design for them and Talbots and Lacoste and all these different companies. And then the stock market crashed. And when the stock market crashed, that was like a whole nother blow to me because I finally felt like I was starting to find who Ellie was in the industry. And I was like, loving design. I was loving product development. I was like, wait, now the stock market crash, they, you know, they laid me off, you know, they laid off so many people. And I was like, Oh, no, like, what am I going to do now for a job? Like, what? Like, what the heck, you know, and, of course, retail still had availability. And so part of me was like, just do I just go back to retail? Like, I know how to do that. But there was something inside of me that was like burning that was like, No, like, there's got to be more. There's an opportunity here, but you have to be willing to see it. And after like, really being super depressed, and like, super emotional and crying my tears and, you know, really having a pity party for myself, I started really looking into like, okay, what else can I use this opportunity for? So I started networking with different people, started asking around like what else I could be doing in fashion. Styling wasn't really a term that was coined just yet. Stylists weren't really known at this point. Mm-hmm. i d- dating myself, but they weren't, um, you know. And so I started asking around. I'm like, what is there in like the shopping world and how do you get into that? And, you know, what else could I be doing and how do I work with people? And, you know, all these different things. And I luckily had a lot of friends and family in the entertainment industry and they were like, hey, you know, you might be able to get an internship. And I'm like, an internship? I need a job, you know? (laughs) Like, you know, like I haven't been an intern how many years, you know? And they're like, well, I mean, it's a whole different industry. So once again, I had to like put everything aside and say, okay, check your ego alley, check all the things you were thinking, like you making money wise, whatever it may be, and like start over once again. And that was how I started in the entertainment industry. And I started interning for like um, Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson back in the day when they were a couple. Um, I worked on uh, their like love, you know, project that they did with, you know, meet uh, Nick Lachey and Jessica. Um, I worked on a bunch of VH1 stuff. I helped on 30 Rock. Bunch of different projects. And wow. then a movie came to New York City, which was Wall Street Money Never Sleeps with the yeah. famous Oliver Stone.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. And
1: yes. And Oliver Stone's team just needed someone to run around and just do like coffee and donuts and just needed really someone to be there you know, they're, they're bitch. Can I say that? Um, um, and so they, you know, my, my, my family says to me, Hey, I might have an opportunity for you. Would you want to, you know, go and interview? And I'm like, okay. So I go and I like dress up, you know, in all my fashion and I'm so excited. And they look at me kind of like, Oh my gosh, this girl is like, so done up and like her heels and the whole thing for this like interview. And they're like, you know what we are interviewing you for. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be working on the set, right? And they're like, uh, not quite. You're going to be getting coffee and donuts and probably help cut up some scripts and maybe do drop-offs for us, like whatever we need dropped off. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, and that just went, you know – and I had nothing, you know, I, ha- I had nothing, Nicholas. I had no opportunities. I was like trying to get off of unemployment. You know, I'm someone who really likes to work. So I never do well, you know, being that just sitting there, letting something play. Yes. And it was like, what can I do? And I thought to myself, you know what? This is another opportunity for me, even though it may not be much money and it may not be much of what I thought it was going to be and fashion may not be involved. It's a job. It's something. It's something to learn. So I said, yes, I took it. And it was the best yes I could have probably honestly ever have said yes to out of all the things at that point because I ended up getting thrown into the fire of the entertainment industry, really like learning by baptism by fire and seeing what it was all about and fell in love with the fast-paced entertainment industry. Even though I wasn't in anything I was loving, watching everything and seeing everything came to life, I was able to get a feel of like, okay, if I stick this out, this is what I want to be doing. Like, this is amazing. I would have never known about this had I not jumped in and done this and just run around and gotten donuts for them and coffee, you know? And don't get me wrong. I mean, I was working at like five in the morning to like 11 o'clock at night. Like it was not for the faint of heart. Like it was a intense, intense time, uh, those seven months. But You know, I got to run around and get coffee for them at all hours of the morning. I was, you know, constantly in with the actors in their dressing rooms, like helping bring stuff for them. And I was in it, even though I was kind of invisible, you know. And um, I got to really experience like what it took to be in that and the hard work and what they expected. I mean, I'll share this. So one of the first days on the job, I I was asked to go get, you know, coffee for Oliver Stone and a couple other of the big players. And they were like, make sure it's this and make sure it's that and don't mess it up. And I'm like, okay. And I write it all down. I'm like, got it. Okay. I'll be right back, you know? And I come back and I hand over the orders and I'm feeling so confident. I'm like smiling at everyone. And I'm handing it over. And Oliver looks at me and he spits out his coffee. And oh, I, 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 I looked at him like, I, I wanted to crawl into a hole at that moment, and shrivel up and die. You know, I was like, oh my God, why is he looking at me like that? And then his assistant turns to me and she goes, it has whip. Because they say no whip, no whip cream. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I told them no whip. And they're like, well, it has whip. They're like, did you check? And I'm like, no. And they're like, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God. And so anyways, like this whole blowout. And they're like, go get him another one. You know, and I'm like, okay. And I look at the assistant and I'm like, do you have, you know, money? Like, for me to run and go get more? And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, this is on you. Like, you got to figure oh, it out. And I'm like, God. Oh my God. So that was like a major reality check right in that moment. I like immediately start crying when I walk away from the set. And I have, I call my parents and I'm like trying to gather myself and like have to dry my tears. I get to the, you know, Starbucks, I'm there bawling my eyeballs out again to into the Starbucks. I'm like, you guys got it wrong, you know? And they're like, oh my God, it's okay. Calm down. Like, we're not even going to charge you. Relax. We'll help you. Like, you know, it's like a whole scene. These people are probably like, this chick is nuts. Wow. And everyone's staring at me, you know, it's like maybe seven, eight in the morning. It's so early. And I've got like mascara down, you know, the whole thing. And I, you know, I go get the extra coffee and I go bring it back. And thank God it was right this time. And he's like, thank you. And, you know, I walk away and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to fire me today. Like, there's no way they're going to keep me. All day I'm on like pins and needles, like waiting for them to fire me. And then the day they come over and they're like, thank you for handling yourself. We appreciate you apologizing. You know, thank you for paying for it. You know, we appreciate you owning the responsibility. And I was like, You're welcome. I'm so sorry. I was like, thank you for this opportunity. And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, are you are you letting me are you letting me go? You know? And they were like, no, you own you owned it. You were responsible. Like you got it done. Just like next time, be aware. Like you you could get fired, but like be aware of what's going on. I was like, okay, I will be. And from then on, it was like my head was down and I was like, focused more than I was ever focused before. And I was like, no one is getting in my way, paying attention to every single thing. And so I did that and I really put my head down and started really focusing and paying attention. And months later, Oliver Stone himself turned to me and said, you know, I've really watched you work so hard. You've done such a great job, everything we've asked you to do. I know you said you love fashion. I want to introduce you to the costume designer on this movie. I was like in shock. And he introduced me to Ellen Morajnik, who's a super famous costume designer to this day. And he's like, Ellen, you know, this is Allie. She would love to learn a little bit in between what we're already doing. And so at first it was just a couple hours once every few weeks. But then all of a sudden they didn't need me as much in the other production. And I was able to be in the costume department and I was learning in costume. And that was when the game changed for me. It was like, oh, my God this is what I want to be doing. Like, this is amazing. I'm getting to help them shop and do returns. And even though, again, I still wasn't really doing anything like glamorous because I was still, you know, low on the totem pole, I was so excited to be around all the actors and watching them get dressed and everything that was happening and, you know, watch the costume designer make decisions. And it was just so cool. I could feel the energy. Everyone would get so excited so I just, I, I fell in love, you know, I, I loved it immediately, even though I was running around feeding her cat at whatever hour at night and going to take her groceries to her house and, you know, just pretty much devil wears Prado situation, you know, um, I just doing whatever she needed. I was in it and I was in fashion. I was so excited. And so anyways, fast forward after doing that job, I ended up getting many more projects on other movies and television shows in New York. And then I got a big break and I got asked to go to Atlanta and I worked on Big Mama's House with Martin Lawrence. Lawrence. And that was an incredible movie and team and Martin's insane, but incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to meet Uh, the team there and half that team was from LA and they had said to me, Hey, why aren't you, you know, working in California? And I was like, I've always been in New York. Like, what do you mean? And they're like, for what you want to be doing. And you love the fast pace and you love the fashion. Like you need to be in LA and they offered to mentor me and take me out to Los Angeles and get me under their wing and get me into the costume union and all these things. And once again, when you get handed an opportunity like that, you can't say no unless you're really gonna like walk away from it all. Like that's a big yep. moment, you know. Yep. And I yep. said to my, you know, boyfriend who's now my husband, and I said, Justin, I said I'm going to go to LA. And he said, What do you mean? Like, uh, like we we have our apartment in New York, like. Like, we're just getting settled. Like, we were just kind of, like, new to dating. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I got to go to L.A. And he was like, okay. You know, it was like, what do you mean? You know, and I was like, I don't know. I'm just being called. Everything in my soul is telling me to go. Like, I just got to go. And everybody thought I was crazy. My family, my friends, my, everybody around me was like, what are you doing? And it just felt so right to just pack my bags and go. So I finished the movie in Atlanta. I think I had, like, two weeks, packed my bags got rid of my apartment and off to LA I went. I was very blessed that my now husband decided that he would take a chance on me and followed me out to LA. Um, And we, you know, moved out to Los Angeles together. I wasn't alone in that sense, you know? Um, And then that's how the styling career kind of ended up happening. You know, I moved to LA. I started working on movies and costume and helping the team from Los Angeles who mentored me. And once again, that feeling I spoke to you about earlier with like where I started feeling that burnout and I started feeling like I wasn't loving what I was doing anymore. I started feeling like that again and I was shocked because I was like, wait, this is what I want to be doing. Why am I feeling like this again? And it happened again when I was in LA and I turned to that team and I said, I don't know what's going on, but like, I, I just feel like I'm not being fulfilled by what I'm doing. And they were like, you know, you're way more creative than the costume side of things. You're way more creative because when you're a costumer, to explain it to someone that's not in it, You're doing all the little bits and pieces. So like you're not necessarily just, you know, designing, you know, the grand scheme outfit, you know, that's the head head designer. So when you're working on a team, you know, you're taking the lint roller and you're, you know, you're cleaning everything and, and, you know, you're spraying things down and you're doing all the kind of, you know, nitty gritty of it, if you will, and you're um, doing a lot more in like the fabric sourcing and you're just it's a little more technical on the costume side. Yeah. And it's really amazing and creative in its own way, but there was just something that wasn't working for me and I couldn't figure it out. And luckily, those the team I told you about that, you know, kind of mentored me, you know, Leah and Amanda and Scott, they said to me, they're like, Well, why don't you look more into like the shopping and styling? Cause you're so good at sourcing and you're so good at seeing things visually. And you love like the energy behind these things. Like, why don't you look into that? I didn't really know much about it. At this point, Rachel Zoe, you know, the famous Rachel Zoe um, had just kind of gotten her show. Styling was starting to come about in the world and the, and the word was starting to play out. Yeah. And I thought, okay, sure. I'll, 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 I'll look into that. Why not? And once again, I started looking into this and I started reaching out to different people and everyone's like, oh yeah, that's great, but you can't just get a job in this. Like you have to have a background in it. And I'm like, oh, well, I have costume and I have retail and I have design and I did this. And it's like, yeah, no, it's that's not gonna work. And I was like, okay, so what do I do? And I'm, I am shit you not, once again, I had to start interning again because the stylist, wow. the sty- I know, because the stylist industry was like, sorry, you have to have the styling background. So I started, you know, I kept my costume job on the side to still make some money to stay afloat. And then on the weekends and any free moment, I was interning for stylists to learn the styling side. And then after a year of interning, one, the stylist, Kanye West, uh, stylist, hired me full-time as an uh, assistant. And that's when I was able to quit my costume job. And I started working in the styling business. And then fast forward after you know, a couple years of being an assistant to big stylists like B. Ackerland of Lady Gaga and Kanye West and all these other, you know, big names. I started building my own clientele and portfolio and people started getting to know me and my style. And you know, it was funny, I started getting asked to style all these D listers who like nobody knew. They never existed, you know, nobody nobody cared who they were but I cared because I was getting to dress just anybody and and help them find their outfit and make them feel good. And I was so excited that I was getting to like, you know, create their looks. And so that was kind of like where things took off and how Aliveen design was born. And then, you know, when that all played out, I started then all of a sudden my clients were getting best dressed, like on these different carpets and on, you know, these covers and music videos. And it was like, wait, who's that woman, you know,'s name behind the person. And then that was kind of how my whole career honestly really started to take off. And then certain people in the industry were starting to become big names themselves. And before I knew it, you know, I was this celebrity stylist that I had never imagined I would ever be, you know, and, yeah. and I tell that story because I think it's so important when people see people's accolades and they see the things they do, there was so much blood, sweat, and tears that it took me, to get to where I was and to be what I, you know, what I'm doing now. And, and obviously I do so many other jobs now too, but it, it, it was just, there was so much and there were so many changes. Like there were so many like you know, hurdles that came where I could have just stopped and been like, oh, yo, you know what, I'm going to go no. do something else. Like, you know, and so I always like when people ask me to tell my story, it's hard for me to like, you know, break it into one thing because I had so many different steps and and different types of jobs that I did yeah. before I got to being a celebrity stylist and fashion yeah. expert. And,
0: and, and it's crazy because some of the things that I can see also uh, that happens a lot in your story is that you have always been willing to start from scratch you have you have always been willing to start from zero even even in all these points of your career that you started again as an intern uh, I think that that is something uh, very admirable uh, because it's it's not that easy to start from zero right it's not that easy to start yeah. from from having a corporate job a target to passing coffee right there is-
1: oh it's a total a total ego blow like I had to really check my ego because I was like wait I'm making like almost a hundred grand at like 21 years old and I'm like killing it in this company and I'm, I'm I'm set to be the next like big district leader and I'm gonna like go intern like that I mean trust me and everybody was like you're out of your mind to leave your job like yeah. you know
0: hey just a quick pause for a message from WAKU and we will be right back to the interview. We are very excited to let everyone know we've just launched WAKU's crowdfunding equity campaign through Republic, a platform that allows anyone to invest in private startups like WAKU. WAKU is now part of a very exclusive group of highly better startups from Republic and now you can become an investor of WAKU starting with investments as small as $100. If you would like to learn more about why to invest in WAKU and why this is such a great investment opportunity, you can go to republic.co forward slash waku. That's r-e-p-u-b-l-i-c c-o forward slash w-a-k-u. We will be thrilled to have you join us in our journey to bring to the world the most refreshing herbal tea with gut health benefits and help to create impact in the livelihoods of hundreds of Ecuadorian farmers. Let's get back to the show. I have a couple of follow-up questions here, and the first one is um, how how do you think um, you were able to make such a difficult decision at that point? Because I know that uh, as, as I was I, as, as I was telling you, it's uh, of course it's not an easy thing to do, right? And it, and I, I think it has to do a lot of um, listening more to yourself and listening more to your inner voice than to what the other people is going to be thinking or what you you are supposed uh, to do at that at that moment Uh, and I know that I I know in in my case I I grew up um, of course with all these voices and and a lot of times you uh, kind of like it's easier to listen more to the external voices and to the what are you supposed to be doing right now and a lot of times that stops you from making a decision like this to follow your dreams and to follow your passion. So um, how, how do you think, or, or why do you think you, you were like this? Like, what, what do you think helped you being more authentic to yourself and, and being able to listen to yourself more? What would you recommend to someone? I don't know. It's in a similar spot that you were at that, at that moment that, it's in this verge of like, okay, there is this opportunity, but I will have to start from scratch, or I, I will have to go against what everything everybody else is telling me to do. Um, what do you think is important that, uh, in in, uh, in a point like that in your in, in your life?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. So, well, first off, to be so transparent, like I was not. This uh, authentically myself until recently. Like, I, I think it took to me to be have go through my postpartum depression that I did with my first daughter and then become a mom to really like do the inner work and start listening to the inner voice so much so to be able to step into such an authentic place. But I think that as far as the job authenticity is concerned, not necessarily maybe personally, but the job part of things and being able to consistently start over to be honest, when you talk about like that, you know, inner voice, my inner voice was like screaming at points, you know, and it was like, I couldn't ignore it because I would feel so burnt out, you know, and I think a lot of times, we forget, like, when we're feeling that burnout, when we're feeling that exhaustion, there's a reason. Like your inner voice, you know, your higher self, you, everything within you, your energy is telling you something is wrong, something is off, something is going on. But we ignore so much of that because society, in my opinion, has taught us to just keep going, keep going on the hamster wheel, keep grinding, don't stop. And I, I was there, like don't get me wrong, I was so that person and I think that when you start to look at that and you start to ask yourself like, but why do I always feel this low? Or why am I feeling unfulfilled? Or why am I feeling that burnout? Whatever it may be. For me, it was so in my face every time with every job. I would literally like, you know, have all these amazing accolades. I'd be loving my job. And all of a sudden I go from loving it to hating it in like a matter of like a day. And it was like, what is going on? And it kept happening. And I was like, this is nuts. This is not cool. Like, stop. Like, I was pissed, you know, because I'm like, I'm working so hard. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Why all of a sudden is my passion gone? But I think we forget, like, that passion is that energy within us that is that inner voice, that inner child that is Everything, our higher consciousness, our higher self is telling us it's not working anymore. Something needs to give. And whether it be you need to be, you know, resting more, whether it be you need to get out of that job and go do the thing you're actually passionate about, whatever it may be, for so many of us, there's different callings. So I would say start at the basics start getting radically self-aware with yourself and listening to yourself and tune out the noise because by the way, anyone that gives you any opinion, it's noise. You are the one that are in you know, in control of your life and your own reality. You are the creator in your own reality. I truly believe we are created as creators, every single one of us. And it's up to us to harness that gold out of ourselves. And I think that when you get really quiet with yourself and you get rid of the noise and you get rid of the naysayers and you don't worry about what other people are going to think or what might be or what you're supposed to do or whatever it is, and you just get clear with yourself and you listen to yourself, you'll hear really quickly and really clearly what you need to be doing and what your next step is. And that's the scary part, right? Because we don't want to take that risk. We don't want to do something out of the box. So we've been taught to stay within these systems and within this programming of like, if you do this, you'll get the vacation. If you do this, you'll get the job. If you do this, you'll get the promotion and the list goes on. And it's like, but why do we have to live life just doing, just do this. So you just get this, in my opinion, that's just setting you up to fail. You think you're going to keep excelling but really you're going to fail because at some point something's not, you're not going to equal something else. Why not create your own reality and say, I'm going to do this because this is what lights me up and fuels me. And guess what? That feeling is never going to change because that's what lights you up and fuels you. And if it does, like in my circumstances with different types of fashion, it did because it had to take me back to propel me forward, to go into other entities of fashion that I wasn't exploring and I didn't even know that I could get into, you know? And then of course, as I've gotten older and as I become a mom and everything, I've gotten very heavy into meditation. So like meditation saved my life. I tell everyone, if you can meditate, you would be surprised how much your life would be changed. I was a total workaholic. I was someone who lived in Hollywood, you know, ate, slept, breathed my Hollywood clients. Like, didn't do anything else, was just so focused on the ego of things, had no idea anything else was going on, and was quite selfish, to be honest. And I was really in it. And and then I got pregnant with my daughter, and life was <laughs> completely shifted for me. And when I had her, I went through pretty heavy postpartum depression, and I never in a million years expected for that to happen. But I believe it happened because, like, God was like, you need to slow down, you need to stop being so – in it and absorbed and not paying attention to yourself and your needs and taking care of yourself and your husband and everything else. And I was kind of put right on my ass, you know, if you will, and was like, you're not doing anything until you figure this out. And I had to do a lot of inner work and that was really hard to listen to my inner, you know, self and that inner voice and tap into all the things I had been ignoring for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I started doing meditation and I started really learning how to tap into that, I tell everyone, I'm like, meditation saved my life because it took a while to get to the place I'm in now. But I wouldn't change it for anything because I'm so much more aware of every single thing I feel immediately for a reason. And I know, okay, this doesn't work anymore. Okay, you know what? This is no longer in alignment. And I don't even question it. I just let it fall off. I used to fight everything. Like, I think we... We make things so complicated, right? We want something so bad. We work so hard to get it. We forget that's actually energy like friction. Like you're literally just pushing against it and it's not going to happen no matter how hard you push for it. But when you let it go and just be in alignment and trust and surrender that you are being taken care of, that things are going to work out for you if you are in your divine purpose and are doing what you're supposed to be doing, things will happen. And it's a practice, right? Like meditation teaches you to slow down. Meditation teaches you to trust, to let go, to allow your mind to clear. There's so many different things in meditation that you learn in this practice. And I think for me, the trust and surrender piece is something I'm still working on every day. Like, I'm not going to lie. There's some days where It'll be crazy in my home and the girls are wild and I'm trying to get a bunch of things done for work. And I try to control everything. I'm like, you need to stop doing this. And I I have to, you know, and I like immediately get into control mode. And then I notice everything gets extra chaotic and everything gets extra nuts. And I have to check myself. And that's when I think God, I'm so radically aware now that I'm like, whoa. Okay, I'll calm down, take a minute. I do breath work. So I'll like go off and breathe for a few. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back and I'm like, all right, everything's fine things will figure it out. And all of a sudden, somehow, everything gets done. Everything that doesn't need to get done falls off. And and, and things just shake up. And I've noticed that happens over and over and over again in my life. And I'm like, that can't be a coincidence. That's because I'm actually going with the energy of things because we all are energy at the end of the day. And I'm flowing with the energy and I'm being in alignment with myself and my highest self for that matter. And so therefore, God and the universe are like, we've got you. Everything's flowing. you know. And so I know that's a lot, but I, I I share that because I struggled so hard for so long and I had no idea that I could be this fulfilled and have this much inner peace and be, you know, this authentically myself and still be able to do all these different things that I'm doing and more. Like I'm building more than I ever did before and I'm creating more and, and I never thought I would be in that place, you know? And so anyone listening, it's like, first get really clear with yourself. Okay. Like Ask yourself why you're feeling a certain way. If it happens once in a while, it might just be a day you need to rest. Okay, we all have to rest. We all have to like put in our brains that rest is productive because we've been taught that it's not, but rest is actually like the next key to making you successful. So Mm -hmm. like allow yourself to rest and like rewind. But then after that, if it keeps happening and you keep noticing things are off, ask yourself, why are things off? What's out of alignment here? What's not working? And start really being like clear with yourself and your own boundaries of like this isn't working anymore and like being okay with that it's not working and trusting there's a reason and letting it go. And that's a really hard thing to do and I, I have to constantly remind myself to do it over and over again, but it's so important to trust within yourself. Stop looking outside. Stop listening to what other people are telling you that's their life, that's their reality. This is your life and your reality, and you get one. And if you want to live a truly happy, abundant life, that doesn't mean, you know, being, you know, super rich. Da, da, da. That's all, again, material and programming we've been taught truly abundant and in inner peace and feel good and be happy every single day in your life you have to be willing to be radically aware of what's going on and trusting and surrendering that process and then finding practices that help you do that so like i said for me it's meditation and what type of
0: meditation do you do whenever you you meditate uh, how, how does that look for you
1: yeah. So, I mean, every day is different, obviously, being that I have a three-year-old and a 16-month-old. Um, so sometimes it's honestly like just five minutes shutting my eyes and just telling myself, like, you are light, you are loved you are protected, you are a creator, you are of the creator, you know, you will be blessed, you will bless others, you know, and I just kind of come up with my own things that make me light up and feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, Other times I listen to like Wayne Dreyer, love his stuff, Abraham Hicks, Um, you know, I pop on a bunch of stuff on my YouTube, on my playlist and I go there. Um, Other times I will, you know, look at a couple, look up a couple affirmations and I keep them in my phone, like today's affirmation, I'll read it to you. I have it on my phone. I said it a little while ago. Um, I get it from this really cool app. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Soak, S O A K, mm-hmm. And they it's like sound frequency. It's really cool. I can send you the link. Oh, it. um, it's really cool. And you soak in sound and the sound frequency. And, and that's another thing too, is like sound, people forget, again, listening to the noise, right? How it can like change our energy and our frequency. Well, sound is the same. Like our cells are always listening. So sound frequency is like you soaking in the sound and being able to like let your body feel that and hear that to be able to calm you down or energize you or whatever it may be, motivate you, you know, whatever you're looking for. Mm-hmm. There's different frequencies that will help you do that and raise your vibration. So this app I use, they I listen to the sound and then I also get affirmations sent to me. So the two I was sent was this morning was – I am full of unlimited energy for limitless opportunities. And then the other one is I am destined to prosper. I think people forget how like important something as simple as a prayer, an affirmation, an intention can change the way you look at something, the way you do something. Instead of feeling like, you know, oh, I have to do this. It's like I get to do this. Changing your language with yourself will change the way you look at things. And it may be super small in the beginning. Like you're not going to see, you know, miraculous changes overnight. Like it, the, the, for me, I, I, you know, it took probably over a year to really start to see changes, but practice is what makes it build up and what makes it change, you know, and being willing to dedicate yourself to those practices and stick to them, you know, and, and, and now I incorporate breath work. I love breath work. I do that you know, usually at least once a week, even with just quick little resets. I do it with my toddler, Amelia, um, when she has a little meltdown, I'm like, okay, let's do breath work together, you know, and it helps get her to center and teaching her. We do morning affirmations together in the mirror, um, you know, and so I want her to have that practice. So we do that together. So I think just finding little things, you know, for some people, it's getting out in nature and going for a walk, yeah. you know, for other people, it's, you know, working out really hard and getting that good workout in. It's figuring out, whatever you can do to reset, you know, your mind. And I think that we forget how important it's like mind, body, and spirit. Like it's our soul. Like there has to be this connection of everything, not one, not the other. Like when you find – all of those connected, that's where you find, I believe, divine alignment. And that's where you find that inner peace and you're able to step into truly your purpose and say, okay, I feel good about this because everything is aligned and I can feel it through my entire body. And Energy doesn't lie, you know. Like like when you walk into a room and you feel someone's energy and it feels good, you want to be around it. You want to be consumed in it. Mm -hmm. When you're by somebody and the energy is off and it feels like, you're like, okay, never mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna go right. So we have to be so intentional about our own energy and and really not only preserving our energy but understanding how important it is to to create the right energy around us and and honor our energy and be like this makes me feel good so I'm gonna do this this doesn't so I'm not you know and just stop filling our to-do lists just to fill them and actually be intentional in what we're doing that's when you start to really see the shifts in your life in personal in business and anything you're doing
0: I love it yeah I couldn't agree more with that and uh Words do have a lot of power, and the things that you say to yourself have a oh, lot yeah. of power and um, have a lot of power over the perception you have on things for sure. It's like that example that says if you say that you want to buy a yellow car, you are gonna start seeing yellow cars in the oh yeah every time. It's
1: yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, there
0: are more yellow we- cars now, but it's just like your perception changed because that's what you
1: are exactly thinking about, right. Right, and I think we, you know, I, I love that you use that example because I think we forget also how powerful we are in that sense, like how powerful our mind is, how much we can tap into our own consciousness, and we stay in the programming instead and just keep going on the grind of just doing whatever is put in front of us and what's told to us instead of like actually like thinking about what is it that I do want, what is it that I get to do versus what i have to do. And i understand that there's certain things we all have to do, but even if you could look at that differently and say i get to do this because then this does this for my family or i get to do this because then i get to bless others or whatever it might be to change that lingo, it will change the way you look at everything and you will not be in that lower frequency and like low density feeling when you go do it anymore.
0: Yeah, i i love that and today i actually was was thinking a lot about it because um on our business we we had like a couple of rough years since the pandemic started the, the, Everyone. yeah all, as as a lot of people have struggled a lot the, we we almost closed the business and it has taken us more than a year and a half to get back in our feet uh, and we are finally starting to get out of that hole right Uh, yeah but these last like these last year and a half have been just like grueling and super hard and being like so far away from the family has been super hard but um one one thought that i had today was just like um whenever you read a book or whenever you see a movie like the best part of the movie is the struggle right it's like the most interesting part of like the story is the struggle and how how does that struggle makes the hero evolve right
1: oh yeah so
0: uh whenever you start to frame the things like that and the hard things that, that happened to you, whenever you start to frame it, as you say, uh, that you get to experience that because that's making you, that's turning you into a stronger person. That's turning you into a, a better professional. Uh, and,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: and people will feel it as, as, as you said in your story, like even if it's passing the coffee, People will sense that energy and people will see that you are like a passionate person and that's going to –
1: They feel it. Yeah. You can't – energy doesn't lie. You can't pretend to – you know, you can fake it to you make it all you want, but your energy is going to tell a different story. So, you, you know, it, you really have to be so intentional when it comes to that and like, like you said, really like understand – what you're feeling and what's going on and and just and tap into that. You know, I think we've been taught for so long to just listen to everything else and to do what we're told and I believe all that's starting to shift now. I think people are starting to really want to create. The world is changing for the better. Um, and I think people are starting to say no more to these systems. And I don't want to be trapped in a box. And I don't want to be told what I have to do to get this or I have to do to get that and I'm going to create my own creations and I'm going to feel good in what I'm doing and I'm going to be passionate about it you know and I think we're seeing more and more of that now
0: yeah I I love it I I really like all this conversation and to start wrapping up a little bit um one of I really like one of the things that I read on your on your website and you say that uh, confidence uh, is your best accessory uh, I love that that phrase and uh I had a, a question for you, and it's, uh, how do you think somebody can start building this confidence uh, if uh, you are someone that uh, hasn't been confident their, their whole life? And maybe you, sometimes you are, sometimes you aren't, but um, how do you think you can start building this confidence uh, in your life?
1: Yeah, so I've always said confidence is your best accessory. And now I say and authenticity is your superpower. And I do believe they go hand in hand, to be honest. You know, I learned as I was styling for years that confidence was so important. But then when I became a mom and I went through my postpartum depression and I had all the journeys that I went through with that – And I found light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and all and everything. I realized that what really helped me step into that confidence was being authentically myself, having to own so much about myself that I didn't want to own, having to work through so much of shadows that I didn't want to own, you know, all these different things that like, you know, it's life, right? But we don't necessarily deal with and I had to deal with in order to be able to move forward in my life. And I had to go inward in order to go forward and that was something I really never had to do before and I did I had to do it and I um you know when I speak to confidence you know it's like that feeling of like when you put something on and you're like oh I feel good right like you like feel good in it and you're like okay I I feel good I feel like I could go do this or I could go get this job or whatever it may be I can go ask that person out on a date you know whatever whatever it is but being able to be authentically yourself and then step into that confidence, I really do believe the two go hand in hand and it's so important. So I would answer that with that one, know yourself again, be so radically aware and know yourself and know what you want and what you deserve and create your own sacred boundaries and everything that follows that for you to step into who you are authentically. And then find the confidence from that and within that to be able then say, okay, I know exactly who I am. Now I'm going to be confident to show it. I want, you know, to wear this. I want to look like this. I want to build this of myself because this is how I feel, you know? And I think that for me, when I went through everything, I had no idea that I was going to lose my confidence after my postpartum depression. And that was like Mm -hmm. a real like shake for me, you know? It was like a really like holy shit moment because – I had always been so confident in styling and I had always been so confident in my job. And when I went through that, I almost felt like a fraud because I didn't feel confident getting dressed anymore because my body looked different. And I didn't feel confident, you know, going out to events anymore because I didn't feel the same. And I felt like a totally different person and woman. And so I realized like, wow, and now I feel like a fraud because I'm not confident in where I was. And so I had to really start, like I said, doing that inner work and be able to step into who I was, who I am now versus who I was, and be authentically myself. And then once I was able to do that, then I was able to confidently step into this new version of Allie and say, okay, I may not be those things anymore because I'm a mom and all these things have changed, but I still you know, love fashion. I'm still an expert. I'm still this. Actually, I know more now about the body because I've shifted so much within my own body and what's going on with fashion. And it's no longer just, hey, that fits you. It's I actually realized that some bodies may be different through different things they go through, you know, and and it changed my way of even looking at fashion and and how all that is. So I think that confidence – when you say confidence is your best accessory, it's got to really be that accessory to you. It's like, it's got to be a piece of you, but you have to be willing to own who you are authentically and authentically in order to be able to step into being confident and then showing off that confidence with yourself. And then it's like with fashion, like have fun. You know, I always tell people, I'm like, stop being so rigid. Stop listening again to like, must be the trend. I have to do what the celebrity is doing. No, that's noise do what feels good to you. If you see something and you're like, I love that shirt and you think it'll look good on you, try it on. If a color speaks to you because you love the energy around it, put it on. Like go for what makes you feel good and create that as your wardrobe. And then of course, if you need guidance, then you, you know, find someone who can help you. But start off playing like you know start off with yourself as your young self of like who didn't care what anyone thought when we were young right when we were kids like we didn't care what anyone thought we would just do what we wanted to do like go back to that when it comes to fashion start looking through what makes you happy what you like to put on what you like to create and then go from there and have that help you step into your confidence and say okay I feel confident in what I'm wearing I feel confident in what I'm doing now I love this together now I know this is my look, like I'm confident in this, you know what I mean? And let that be your accessory to your authenticity.
0: I love that. I love that, Ali. Thank you so much for sharing all this. uh, And to finish our conversation, where can people learn more about you and about the work that you do? What's the best way to contact you?
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I I love the conversation as well. And uh, you can find me at AllieLevine.com is my website. Uh, You can follow me on social at AllieLevineDesign, A-L-I-L-E-V-I-N-E, design. design. Can can you tell it's Friday? I cannot talk. Um, Design is my social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, the TikTok whatever, all the things on there I spend most of my time on Instagram as I'm building my community so please feel free to DM me and say hello if something resonated with you or if you have a question or whatever it may be you need inspiration please say hello let me know you found me from the Sunrise Podcast I'm happy to say hi um, and my podcast that I have is Everything with Allie Levine I'm going to be dropping a new podcast soon all about spirituality and my own journey I'm very excited about that nice and um Yeah, if you need styling help, I'm doing a ton of consultations via Zoom, via online, Skype. So feel free to reach out either via my website um, or you can email Ali at alilevinedesign.com.
0: Awesome, Ali. Thank you so much again. It was a pleasure to have you here in the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. This is Nico again. And just a few more things before you take off. If you'd like to be part of the Waku tribe, to be the first one to know about the launch of Exclusive Flavors, special promotions and content about health and wellness just go to livewaku.com that's l-i-v-e-w-a-k-u.com and sign up for our email list
1: and if you sign up i hope you enjoy being part of our community